This episode is brought to you by Cards Against Humanity. They asked us not to read an ad, so just enjoy the show, you little sh**. You didn't expect that, did you? Oh, oh didn't you? Quote, David, David, or I'm break. I guessed everything's going to be nice and easy. Get <laughs> We're going to do nothing nice and easy. Sounds like something a would think. <laughs> Good Lord. Stone sober. <laughs> Tell me, is your ID just torn out of the back page of Scott's magazine? <laughs> Or is it a full-page spread right up top? Uh, hi, everybody. Welcome to another week of break. Another week of break. It is another <laughs> week of break. We say another, so I guess this can't be the first one. I've f***ed up our schedule because we haven't made one. <laughs> <laughs> no, they come out how they come out. Whatevs. Whatevs. It's true. Hi. Hope everybody's doing well and surviving and not not perishing in the hellfire of 2017. Yeah, uh, uh, I mean, by the time this comes out, I don't. I, I always want to say like, oh, I just read there's some big storm going through, but you know, that's long Time done. If you're dilation. dead, that's on you now. <laughs> yeah, and and who knows when this will come out? Because we're we're recording, we're we're front loading a lot of stuff for the break and my trip and and everything. Yeah. So. I uh, hope everybody's doing well, though. We're we're just going to read some ghost stories. It's a fun little filler for fun. It's a fun fill. Fill fun. We filled you with fun. You will be filled. We have a big bag of fun fill. We're just going to rip open a couple of your stitches and then just fill you up with fun, sew you back up, and send you on your way. That's right. Fun scar. That's not creepy. <laughs> Dave picked me up this book that he found. Bunch of Scottish ghost stories. Mm-hmm. How about that? Yeah, so I thought it would be fun to go through, pick some out. This one is a particularly fun book because uh, there are a lot of like very short stories and and tellings. I, I don't yeah. know how to. They're they're just they're real short. It's like this happened at this chur- old church, and this happened at this castle. Uh, but then there are some you know that are a little fleshed out. Liam McGregor shot himself. Would you like to know why? <laughs> clickbait. Scottish clickbait. <laughs> You'll never believe what happened here. <laughs> You'll never believe. So true. Don't forget, because the chances are pretty good that this is going to come out in the, the time frame that is still okay. Don't forget, uh, you can always go to Blurry uh, to patreon.com slash blurry photos. Mm-hmm. Sign up for the live stream. You might be the a witness to our own destruction. I don't know how it's going to go. Be the wit- more I think witness. about it, the, yeah, the, the, the more I think about it, the more it makes me nervous. It's true. It's, it's true. Right. It makes me nervous. We'll, we'll get on there and, and show off and then we'll pay for it later. Don't worry about it. It's like a credit yeah. card of uh, liverdom. 
and and life. I mean, here's the thing, like, and 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 the way it's gone so many times, it's like. I go into the bucket while we're recording, but you really pay the fiddler the next day. This is something that's been happening to me over the past year or two. I do not process uh, the alcohol until like the next day. My body, it it feels like I might get a buzz, you know, or or be all right, but I'll go to bed. It'll it'll be hunky-dory, and I'll wake up just drunk AF. Mm Mm-hmm. And I, I I don't like it that way. I want I want it to be filtering as I'm drinking. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> I want it to happen in real time. It's it like it like saves to my personal body cloud and then like downloads <laughs> the next day. Yeah. Don't worry. It's still there waiting for you. Oh man. Yeah. But I, I think we've we're gonna drink enough to where some processing's gonna have to happen. In real time, but um, yeah, it's it's gonna be gonna be fun. Uh, March eleventh, that's the date we're gonna pick to uh, drink ourselves to oblivion. And I think what yep. what's gonna happen is we'll log on to the live stream. We'll be drinking and stuff. We'll, we're probably I, I don't know. What do you think? We should come up with. Our, we'll we'll do like we always do and just come up with our intro during the the drinking, right? Yeah. Well. Yep. Yeah, exactly. We're just going to dive right into it. I think the live cast will help with that. Maybe we'll 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 farm that out to the sure. the the board of directors and see what people think. I mean, I one the only thing that I have planned is my signature drink, which is going to be called a Lucky Irishman. Sure. Uh, and I'm going to now release what that is for anyone who wants oh, to play it. Oh my goodness! Wow. Yeah. Yep. Anyone who wants to join me, uh, a Lucky Irishman. You need a rocks glass, some ice. It's all parts Jameson, then a handful of marshmallows from Lucky Charms. Gosh, have you tried this? No, but <laughs> I have faith. But that I'm that's not a joke. That is what I will be drinking is okay. marshmallow whiskey. Wow. See, I'm yeah. I'm gonna go with a base of Guinness, then probably just shots of Jameson. Yeah, like, there's like gonna be like do. Guinness. I think I, I don't think I cannot have some of that kicking around like a do, but yeah, that's really, I'll be drinking the lucky Irishman all night. I might supplement stuff. You know how you're supposed to do like a, a bottle of water to every can or, you know, what, like one for one water to, to liquor ratio. But like, I might, I might just go straight for the Pedialyte and just do that oh. one for one. Yeah, whatever it takes, whatever gets us through it. Although that might, you know, it might keep me sober like like my problem has been. Yeah. I do need you to make an ass of yourself. It's <laughs> going to make me feel a lot better. I want, Flora, I need you to be the one banging holes in the Titanic this year. Yeah. I hope I hope I don't get sick again. That was that was the worst, yeah. like having it all planned and then, like, I, I got oh. a migraine that day. Yeah, that really did suck. I felt bad about that. Boy, I'll tell you what, though. You got a live cast scheduled. Yeah, show must go on. I can't. Yeah, I, I cannot not. And since I said that to you, something's gonna happen to me, and I'll be like, <laughs> F- "I said it." <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so yeah, that's you have until the twenty eighth of February to sign up for that. Your card gets charged towards the beginning of March, and then um, then we'll send you an email for all the details and stuff. Yep. So there you go. But uh, until yeah. then. How about a few Scottish ghost studies? Aye. 
It's time to scare me kilt straight. <laughs> scare the pleat out of me kilt. <laughs> uh, Flora, kick it off. All right. Uh, this one comes from Buckingham Terrace in Edinburgh. And it's a little... It, it, it starts a bit hard in the paint, Dave. But uh, Good. The others that we have are, are less hard, I would yeah, say, but I still like, fun. Yeah, bring it. Buckingham Terrace is situated by the Dean Bridge, close to the center of Edinburgh. It is an imposing crescent of houses, many of which are divided into elegant flats. In the 19th century, the residents in one particular flat in Buckingham Terrace, the Gordon family, became aware of a sinister presence in their home shortly after moving in. The flat above had been uninhabited for some time, and, apart from some pieces of furniture that were stored there, it was empty. Mrs. Gordon was therefore very surprised and quite concerned when she awoke one night to hear noises coming from the room above her head. There was a great deal of banging and thumping, as if heavy objects were being moved around. What? The noises were repeated the next night, and Mrs. Gordon was moved to make a complaint to the landlord. She was moved to think about making a request for <laughs> talking about a complaint. To consider a possible... <laughs> No satisfactory explanation could be offered for the disturbances. However, the Gordon family were the only occupants of the building. There was little the landlord could do except suggest that perhaps Mrs. Gordon's ears were deceiving her. She was a right daft old biddy, and that the noise was traveling from further away, perhaps the adjoining building. Mrs. Gordon was adamant. The noises were coming from the upper flat, from the room directly above her bedroom. It was not long after this that Mrs. Gordon began to become aware of a distinct feeling of dread when she was in her bedroom. She woke one night feeling quite fearful. Normally a calm, rational sort of person, she was not given to experiencing such feelings. It felt to her as if something, or someone, was in the room, although she could see nothing. The presence, for it now seemed certain that something was there, would move past her as she lay in bed at night, then go out of her room quietly. After it had left Mrs. Gordon's room, she could hear it climbing the stairs to the floor above. The sounds, quiet at first, would then build to a sudden crescendo. The banging noises that she had heard on previous occasions would start up again. Then the sounds would change in quality once more, and Mrs. Gordon would hear staccato, stamping noises, as if someone was jumping up and down on the floor above her head. There was little Mrs. Gordon could do about the strange occurrences, for any suggestions she might make to the landlord that the place might be haunted would undoubtedly have been met with denial and probably derision, and a quick slap to the face. She had inquired of the rest of her family whether they had been disturbed by anything at night, but they had not heard a thing. Then, Mrs. Gordon's daughter experienced similar occurrences. Her mother was away, and she decided to sleep in her room one night. She had barely opened the door, then she felt something push past her, moving towards the stair to the upper floor. The girl, perhaps emboldened by a rush of adrenaline, or pissed drunk and not fearing shit, charged after the thing as it headed for the empty flat above. At the doorway, she stopped but she could hear that the thing had gone inside. Now, from the sounds she could hear through the door, the thing was moving furniture around, 
I like this over here. We'll put this. There's a nice flow of energy that way. Hey, that's better. That's better. Oh, I dropped my cigarette. Stamp, 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 stamp. <laughs> Tentatively, the girl tried the door and found it to be unlocked. She turned the handle, pushed the door wide open, and stared into the gloom from the doorway. Inside, she could just make out a dark figure bending over the open case of a grandfather clock. Something told her that the figure was not human, or at least, not a living human. Something told her it already knew what time it was. <laughs> Something told her it was a damn badger that had gotten in there. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly, her courage deserted her, and she froze in terror. The figure turned towards her. She ran as fast as her legs could carry her back down to the safety of her own flat. When the girl told her mother about what had happened, Mrs. Gordon's suspicions that the building was haunted grew even stronger. The ghostly figure appeared once more, this time to Mrs. Gordon. She was lying in her bed one night when she became aware of the now familiar feeling of dread again. She looked up and saw a man standing in the doorway of the bedroom. He had a sinister, distracted air about him. In his hands, he held what looked like a bundle of rags. The family had experienced quite enough... That's enough of that, laddie. <laughs> they arranged forthwith to leave the flat in Buckingham Terrace. Once they'd settled comfortably somewhere else, however, Mrs. Gordon determined to see what she could find out about the history of their flat in Buckingham Terrace. Investigations revealed that she and her family were not the only ones to believe that the place was haunted. Several rumors circulated about the flat, one of which was the following which Mrs. Gordon took to be the most likely. According to the story, a retired seaman, a former captain in the Merchant Navy, had lived in the Gordon's flat some time before. The man was an alcoholic and was also believed to have been mentally disturbed. There had been a family with a young baby living in the flat above at that time, and the baby, as babies do, often cried at night. Kept waving at the man. Kept asking how to join the Merchant Navy. <laughs> kept, kept walking around in that little sailor suit. He did not earn it! He did not earn it! Those are bosun's pips on its little collar! That's not a bosun! I'll not salute to that way, baby! He's <laughs> a quartermaster at best! He's not even wearing the sash right. Why don't you whistle, baby? There are regulations for a reason, you way, baby. <laughs> <laughs> On one particular night, the baby, who had been left alone for a while, had woken and was crying. The constant noise of the crying had annoyed the seaman to such an extent that he had stormed up the stairs in a drunken rage and killed the wee baby. In a pathetic effort to conceal his crime, he had tried to hide the baby's body in the case of a grandfather clock. Of course, the dreadful deed had soon been discovered, and the seaman was eventually committed to an asylum, where it was said that he took his own life. This story was dreadful indeed, but it did explain to the Gordon family why the presence kept thundering upstairs, and why the ghostly figure had been bent over the open case of the grandfather clock. The seaman's ghost was condemned to reenact his ghastly deed over and over again.
is this is the is this story called ghostly semen it is now <laughs> you know like did, did you know that further uh further families who have since lived in the house have also been awoken to late night ghostly tribunals of a military court of uniform justice addressing the many grievous violations that the baby has accrued in its service the baby was appointed a ghostly jag <laughs> a spectral jag so there you go yeah that's that's why you got to be careful about your neighbors. And hey, if there's uh, you know, there's a guy who's already crazy and he's got a drinking problem, don't leave the baby by itself. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to blame the victim here, but kind of want to blame the victim. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> en- enough of, of enough of my puritanical judgments. Uh, I got I got a story here. Already? It's That's called convenient. Sankuhar Kirkyard. Okay. Okay. In the 18th and 19th centuries, the Kirkyard at Sankuhar in the borders. Okay. None of three different descriptors. None of them help. <laughs> Is a Kirkyard where all the Kirks come from? <laughs> you know, the, uh, a Kirk. That's a uh, birthplace of um, a great line of captains. Yeah, that, that's in Iowa, though, not in Scotland. Well, they had to come from somewhere. They weren't just planted and sprung up in Iowa. Pretty much. That's how it happened. Spontaneously con- produced. They just wandered out of the corn. <laughs> <laughs> corn sweat. Okay, so yeah. Uh, in the 18th and 19th centuries, the Kirkyard, you know, the one at Sankuhar. No, 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 not that Sankuhar. The one in the Borders. Achieved notoriety on account of the ghostly activities of a man called Abraham Crichton. Abraham Crichton died in 1745 in a particularly unpleasant manner. How'd he do it? After, co- after quite a colorful life. Well, I'll be happy to tell you, Flora. You see, Crichton was a wealthy man, laird of Carco, and the owner of several properties in the area, as well as a great deal of land. However, much to the suspicion of various local people, he was also declared bankrupt in 1741. I heard the Kirkyard dried up. <laughs> hey, Tommy. Me and the guys <laughs> are going to play in the Kirkyard. Want to join us? Kirkyard. <laughs> His properties and land were sold off bit by bit, but rumors were circulated that Crichton was not in the dire straits that he would have people believe. <gasps> He had, somewhere, secreted away a great deal of money. This, combined with the manner of his death, made it hardly surprising that his tortured soul would be unable to find peace. There was a disused church in the district, which had been Kirk's, which had been the Kirk of a former parish, that of Kirkbride. What the f***? Kirk, Kirk <laughs> is a church. Is it? Yeah. Church. Do you know that for sure? It's a church. All right. Jesus, how'd you so, find yeah, out that Kirk, quick? I got Kirk Cousins, Tom Brady, Kirk Cousins. Well, if you if you type in just Kirk, you're going to get every Kirk in the world. What if did you, you type in what is a Kirk? Oh. Bam. I'm such a good gurgler. A church. Yeah, it is. A church is, uh, Kirk is a church. C-H-U-R-C-H. Kirk. Huh? Oh. <laughs> I guess. Weird. Uh, there you are. Yeah, that of Kirkbride. Boy, a lot of Kirks. 
Uh, for some years, there had been a dispute as to what to do with the building. Don't worry. I'm going to come back to old man. Maybe's maybe's not poor. <laughs> some locals wanted to tear it down. Whilst in the opinion of others, such an act amounted to sacrilege. The story goes that uh, previous attempts to demolish the church had been unsuccessful. And that those who had taken part in the exercise found themselves the victims of considerable misfortune as a direct result of these actions. In the eyes of those who believed in such things, these happenings had been the manifestations of the wrath of God. Now, back to Abraham Crichton, who was having none of this. <laughs> That's a good sentence. Abraham Crichton was having none of this. He wanted the church to be brought down. He engaged a group of workmen to accompany him to the building to start demolition. They set to work when all kinds of British sentence structure blew in out of the east. But hardly had they done so than an almighty storm blew up. That's a good one. Preventing them from getting any work done. Forcing, uh, forced to abandon their efforts until the next day, uh, until the next day, they all set off for home, which is actually a pub called Home. <laughs> Kirk Home. Yeah. Whilst riding back from Kirkbride, Abraham Crichton met with disaster. A bolt of lightning caused his horse to rear up in panic, and Crichton was quite unseated. <laughs> a tumble from a horse is bad enough, but one of Crichton's feet had become wedged in the stirrup, and as the horse bolted, he was dragged along in its wake. The horse galloped off at a great rate, and it did not stop nor even slowed down until it reached Dalpeter. You know, Dalpeter. That other Kirk. When the frightened beast finally drew to a halt, its owner lay by its side, lifeless and bloody. Bloody? Quite. It seemed as if the death of Abraham Crichton was divine retribution. Not only had this man been dishonest in his financial dealings, said his critics, but he was also guilty of sacrilege. He should never have tried to tear the church down. The locals shook their damn heads and tut-tutted self-righteously as preparations were made for Crichton's funeral. Alas... They had not seen the last of Abraham Crichton. However, there was a loss. Aye. <laughs> not long after he was buried in the graveyard. So not only is he not poor, he's barely even dead, guys. This guy will never tell the truth to anybody. <laughs> not long after he was buried in the graveyard at Sankahar, you know, in the borders, oh. he returned in ghostly form. The ghost of Abraham Crichton caused great consternation in the district. He would pursue passers-by in the fields next to the churchyard. He would appear suddenly in the churchyard itself, frightening the life out of anyone who happened to be there. Always he seemed to be trying to speak to those whom he followed. His hand would stretch out in entreaty, but none dared take it. The kirkyard at Sankahar, in the borders, became a place much feared in the hours of darkness. Locals would take detours in order to avoid passing too close to the church, as a longer walk was considered well worth the effort if it meant avoiding the ghost of Abraham Crichton. News of the haunting spread, and Sankahar, the one in the borders, not the other one, became a topic of heated debate amongst those who had any interest in matters paranormal. I say it's a ghost. I say you're a f***ing idiot. That's a phantom is what that is. Oh, look at you two. Like you've never seen a specter in your old time lives. <laughs> That's a ghoul if my beard's red. And then... Huge noise as one heavy boot kicks open the door to the pub. All the candles blow out, and a, and a terrifying specter is outlined in lightning. 
people have no more to talk of ghouls or specters, but it's a banshee we be hunting tonight. (laughs) (laughs) We're better at this than they are. Um, At length, it was decided that something had to be done. The ghost was causing too many difficulties. A minister by the name of Hunter was appointed to deal with Crichton's troublesome spirit. The bold minister took himself to the kirkyard one night, uh, one dark night, with a Bible and a sword to await an encounter with Crichton. See, now this is back when ministers had a Bible and a sword. Yeah. Clerics, I believe they called them. (laughs) Five years. Five years and we're back. Well, clerics don't use swords, do they? He's got a a mace. This guy's a minister, though. Yeah, but we we all know. We all know. He's running around with a rogue, running around with a mage. He's running around. He's casting light all the time. He's laying on hands. (laughs) It wasn't a sword. It was a hammer. Anyway. (laughs) That's what I was waiting for. He insisted on carrying out his vigil alone, and no one saw what came to pass in the course of the night. When morning came, however, the minister left the churchyard, tired but in confident mood. (laughs) He never related precisely what happened during those long hours of darkness. He was, however, able to give his assurance that Abraham Crichton's ghost would wander no more. The ghost was never seen after that, but just in case the people of Sankahar, in the borders, secured his tombstone in place over the grave with very sturdy chains. Wait, what? Abraham's? Yeah. But that... But... What? Okay, so he he took care of it. He went and and showed Abraham what's what. Didn't say how he did it, but then everybody was like, okay, we've we've had no more ghost. Just to make sure, let's wrap that shit in chains. Right. I don't... I don't get it. I don't know. So there you go. There's the curious tale of Abraham Crichton. Wow. I mean, I mean, ah, a bucketty bucketty. Bucketty Bogart, bogart. What you got, Flora? Oh, let's see. Uh, I've got some stuff with the old devil. Oh, the devil. I have heard of this particular chap. Well, devil. Got a little info, and then uh, that leads us into a story. There was a certain fascination verging on preoccupation with the devil long ago in Scotland. If anything or anyone was particularly feared for any reason, the hand of the devil had to be in there somewhere. <laughs> Thus, it was that men like John Graham of Claverhouse, Bonnie Dundee, came to be associated with the Black Arts. He was greatly feared and the actions he took against his enemies, in particular the Covenanters, earned him widespread hatred. Well, the Covenanters are a jealous lot. Covenanters. Oh, Covenanters. The, he had the coven, Covenanters over for dinner, <laughs> although they had food envy. They wanted what he had. Mm. Stories began to circulate that his work was more than human and that he was in some way devilishly inspired. The rumors grew wilder over time. He was said to have consorted with the devil, to have practiced the black arts, and to have struck a deal with the devil, whereby he would become invincible in battle. Pretty good deal. Sweet. Yeah, it's a pretty good deal. That's worth getting into some, some black arts for. As the fear and loathing of the man increased in intensity, so the stories about him became more fantastic. Sir Tam Dial 
a contemporary and ally of Cliverhouse, earned himself a similar reputation. The devil could be a convenient excuse for getting rid of someone who was proving to be a particular nuisance. Many a young woman met a terrible death in Scotland in the 16th century, condemned for witchcraft and satanic practices. Some of these women might have been guilty of certain unsavory practices. Some undoubtedly practiced the black arts. Nevertheless, it cannot be denied that, as far as many of them were concerned, they had done nothing to deserve their fate. Sometimes it was the case that a woman simply knew too much for her own good. A superior intellect and an inquiring mind were often treated with suspicion and could be enough to inspire a witch hunt. Some women were too gossipy, others kept to themselves too much, and the remainder simply behaved in a way that somebody somehow found offensive. It's a good thing that we've changed. Is this a ghost story or just like a calm a description of, of what uh, the patriarchy is? <laughs> it's the second. Oh, okay. The story follows, but I just want everybody to know. Is this, uh, this is like the Star Wars crawl <laughs> before the story yeah. starts. <laughs> I want everybody to know. It is a know. time of great sexism. <laughs> right. Those who did practice the black arts, both women and men, were said to be well acquainted with the Daviel. Those who admitted to such knowledge or were forced into admission of such knowledge suffered greatly for it. Some survived the rumors, but their notoriety lived on after them. If the stories that are told about them are to be believed, the spirits of people like these almost always seem to return. So we hear of the ghost of Major Weir, who consorted with the Deviel and still haunts the old town in Edinburgh, and the ghost of Alexander Skeen riding in his coach across the lake every year on Hogmanay to meet with Aldnick. Ald? Aldnick? Yep. Aldnick! I got to meet him! <laughs> The Diviel made frequent visits to the land of the living, according to tradition. He prowled the world of mortals in various forms, haunting the virtuous, tormenting the indecisive, and tempting away the impious. Whether he appeared as man, beast, or monster, the Daviel could always be identified by his cloven feet. And that leads us to the story of the Highlander and the Devil. Oh, thank God! I'm going to have to hear this as Christopher Lambert. <laughs> it's too long, but... Damn it. This is too long a story. <laughs> Another story which comes from Galloway tells of a meeting in Gloomland <laughs> between a proud Highlander and the devil. <laughs> yes, please. Another story which comes from Galloway tells of a meeting in Glenluce between a proud Highlander and the devil. Plague was rampaging the countryside, sent by the devil himself, and the Highlander and his family were among the fortunate few who had not caught it. The Highlander had jokingly boasted that he owed his own survival to two things. First, the fine Highland blood that coursed through his body. Secondly, the fine malt whiskey that also ran through his veins in large quantities. <laughs> Aye, laddie. Aye. The DVL had been annoyed that someone should have the effrontery to speak of the plague in such a light-hearted manner. <gasps> That's not right. You don't speak of it like that. <laughs> he appeared in front of the Highlander one night as the bold man was making his way home from the local hostelry. The Daviel challenged the Highlander to answer for his cheek, but the Highlander 
full of Dutch courage was undaunted. <laughs> I'm a single malt superhero, devil. <laughs> Come at me, brah. <laughs> he felt up to any challenge that was offered him. After some debate, the Dahaviel and the Highlander agreed that they would hold a wrestling contest. If the Daviel won, he would infect the Highlander with the plague. <laughs> If the Highlander won, the Deville would have to put the plague in a bag and give it to the Highlander to dispose of. The whole plague? Yes. What was the bag made out of? This predates plastic, I feel like. You don't want to know. (laughs) Necronomicon. (laughs) Classic devil. (laughs) Yeah, it's burlap. I put all the plague in there. It's cheesecloth. Have fun. (laughs) I'm the devil. The devil was strong, but the Highlander was a wily fighter. They wrestled with each other for some time without a clear victor emerging, both claiming to have won the tussle. In order to settle the argument, they hit upon the idea of a piping contest. Oh, so everyone loses? (laughs) The Daivir rustled up some pipes for them to play, and the contest began. Fire flew from his fingertips as he rosined up his pipes. (laughs) The Deville, taking his turn first, played a fine tune. But when the Highlander picked up the pipes and began to play, he knew that he'd been beat. And he set those golden bagpipes on the ground, ground at, at Angus' feet. feet. <laughs> <laughs> he soon realized here was a man who could play the pipes like no other. The Highlander's music was powerful and moving. It made the Deville laugh, dance, and weep in turn. The Deville could not fail to be impressed and readily admitted defeat. He collected the plague together like a big black cloud in his hand. Then he sealed it in a bag and gave it to the Highlander as promised. The Highlander had gambled with the devil, a dangerous pastime if ever there was one. Now he was one of the fortunate few who won. He took the bag that the devil had given him to the abbot in Glenluce to see what could be done to get rid of the plague once and for all. It took all the powers of the monks in the abbey to subdue the dark spirits of the plague, but at last they succeeded and the dreadful disease was gone from Galloway. Not gonna tell you how they did it, though. <laughs> no, no, they seem to keep that part to themselves. Uh, I, I further take umbrage to the fact that they... Uh, uh, doesn't talk about containment for a pathogen. It's just sealed in a bag. It's probably just walked across the land redistributing it. Oh, God, wait, wait, wait. Does that mean the bag was full of fleas? Or just rats? Like... Rats and yeah. flea-bitten flea rats? Amoebas on fleas on rats? Deep cut grease. It's just a bag of rats. 
Big old bag of rats. <laughs> uh, you win. Here's your bag of rats. <laughs> By the way, it's uh, Middle Ages, so that bag is about uh, an acre. It's about an acre in size, but it's a bag. Now, what are you going to do with it? <laughs> Take it to the it's Abbey. It's full of rats in there, already chewing on it, so... <laughs> As promised, Einstein <laughs> delivered. Hey, by the way, love your piping. Poof. <laughs> yeah, right? Oh. All right, I'm going to close this out here, Flora. Already. A little short, comma, sweet. Oh, finally. This, this is the terrifying tale of number 17. Oh. A room of terror. <laughs> I, the number of the devil. That's almost 18, which divided three times is six. Six times three is 18, but three sixes is... is Ah, the devil! We found it! (laughs) Close to the botanical gardens in a particularly attractive area of Edinburgh is the site where once stood a row of houses now demolished. One in particular number 17, had a particularly gruesome secret. If you couldn't tell, this is a very particular story, and I hope we're all keeping track because the word has already appeared three times. Not long after the turn of the 19th century, when the house was laying empty, when the house had lain empty for some years, it was bought by an enterprising husband and wife who wanted to use it as a boarding house. But it was not long before they noticed that one of the attic rooms had a strange and unpleasant atmosphere. People were reluctant to enter the room, let alone use it. Sometimes it seemed as if there was something, or someone, (gasps) in the room. On one particular occasion... Laura, can I get like a little bell sound every time I say particular? Okay. On one particular occasion... A young girl who had been employed to help with the housekeeping went into the attic room only to re-emerge at once, screaming hysterically. She collapsed with the shock of whatever she had seen, and when revived, could not be enticed to put into words what had terrified her so. Word had soon spread about the room in number 17, and students at the university began to dare each other to take up residence there. The young man who finally took up the dare was named Andrew Muir. It is said that, rather than taking on the challenge out of bravado, this particular young man was quite religious and was interested from a spiritual point of view. He approached the owners of the house and offered to spend the night in the room. Anxious to put an end to the rumors of something dreadful going on in their boarding house, the owners agreed. They gave Andrew Muir a bell, along with strict instructions to sound the alarm whenever he saw the word particular, (laughs) or if he saw or heard anything out of the ordinary. Then they bade him good night, and good luck. (laughs) The other inhabitants of the house made themselves ready for bed and retired for the night, leaving Andrew Muir to keep his lonely vigil in the attic room. They were all asleep in bed, and everything was quiet when all of a sudden they were awoken by a particular noise of the bell and an accompanying scream of fear and horror. (laughs) They all jumped from their beds and rushed upstairs to the attic to find out what had happened. When they opened the door of the attic room, a terrible sight met their eyes. There, Andrew Muir lay dead with the bell at his side. On his face was a look of abject terror. 
He had seen something so awful, it would appear, that the life had literally been frightened out of him. After that, the attic room was never used again. That particular house was demolished some 20 years later. The end. (laughs) (laughs) What did he see? Yeah. Uh, Is there a thing where, like, like a a good Scottish ghost story has to have, like, a, and then a bunch of shit went down, but no one's talking about it. Get out. Story's over. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and then it was torn down. That's it. it's not there I anymore. said get out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, that that is a particular kind of uh of terror. I uh, suppose it's a a particular kind of terror. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. I hope you guys aren't uh soiling your kilts or hard to clean that tartan whizzing whizzing in your bagpipes because <laughs> that also happens when you get scared. It's a it's a good book. I think uh, we might pull from it in the in, you know in the future, um, yeah, yeah, I dig it, I dig it indeed. Some good stuff in there. I, I mean, I, I don't want to. I mean, yeah, I'm going to give you a teaser. How about a story called "The Sad Specter of Angus Roy"? I mean, come on, he's sad. He's a sad Scotsman named Angus. Angus Rob Roy. Yeah, and they identify him as a specter, so no one has to argue about what they're dealing with. Yeah. Time saved. Time saved. It, they they got really smart about um, labeling, which yep. you know everybody everybody can benefit from. But hope you enjoyed this all yeah. Scots episode. <laughs> oh. And we'll be back soon, so we can drink by like a bunch of wee Irish girls. Oh, oh look, look out for me! me. I believe in leprechauns. I've got a wee bit of Guinness. Oh. <laughs> That's going to get my soul past, isn't it? Oh. <laughs> and that. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, we will be back from break soon. Thank you so much for listening. That's right. And uh, stick with us. You know you know whew. how to find us. You know where to go with us. Yeah. If you're, if you're new, if this is the first one that you've listened to of us, this isn't our normal ty- type of episode. We're on break, and this is a little little bonus. Although we do tell stories like this from time to time yep. in episodes. So, you know. Feel free to check out uh, uh, proper episode stuff. And if you are not new to us, make sure you have liked our Facebook and followed us on Twitter and given us a five-star review on iTunes, please. Yes, please. Uh, check out our store. We've we've got all kinds of stuff on our site. We've got a Threadless store, blurryfredos.threadless.com. All sorts of, of great stuff you can get. And thanks to the sponsors. Yeah, absolutely. As, as Thank always. you to Cars Against Humanity. Thank you to the Chicago Podcast Cooperative. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll catch you on the flip-flop. That's right. We'll, we'll, we'll sniff you on the street corner. <laughs> Bye! Bye! Bye.